Okay, good morning. Um, really great to be with you today. And uh, we've just been back here for a couple of weeks, as Alec mentioned. And um, now we're required by the government to not be out of the country for more than um, six months at a time. So that, that has us back and forth a whole lot more than before. Um, a little more traveling and uh, although Zoom does make it uh, possible to be doing stuff wherever you are and uh, one of the things that I'm doing is teaching at a Bible school so I'm able to do that while here as well so that works out good but uh, yeah I understand you're going through Matthew and uh, been looking at some parables and I'd like to just have another look maybe a different look at at the first parable so if you want to go there uh, Matthew 13 it's been said that if you don't follow the news you're uninformed and if you follow the news you're misinformed and um, the news reported may be true uh, but it always comes with a spin on it right and we live in a world of much misinformation and fake news and there's so much falsehood and distorted messages um, the world has become a very confusing place and truth is hard to come by but what we have in this parable are the sorry this chapter are the parables of the kingdom the mystery of the kingdom and uh Stories that unlock the true meaning of what's going on. And it's like a behind-the-scenes look at history, um, the real issues that are at play in our world. So this is history, not as we get it from history books, but from God's perspective, the eyes of God. We are all familiar with history as man sees it, this endless parade of presidents and empires and events and uh, wars and, um, you know, of, of the 10 million things that happen every day, the media selects a few and the ones that they want us to hear about and they're not selected at random. They promote a perspective. They come with a bias. They all come with a spin on it. And we're really not just getting news. We're getting a narrative. And we, and there's a lot of social engineering going on. As a matter of fact, there are those who are rewriting history and editing out the parts that don't fit with the uh, narrative that we're supposed to believe. So, you know, it's a, a very challenging world. Are we really hearing what's going on in Middle East? Did we really find out what was going on in Ukraine or what was going on with, with uh, COVID? You know, there's so much distortion of information, it, it, it's really a, a challenging world to live in. But it, in this chapter, we are getting God's perspective on history, heaven's perspective on the forces at work in our world today. And so we get this behind-the-scenes look at what's going on. Let's just read this first part of Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake such large crowds gathered around him that he got in a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, 
A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the, along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus gave three main discourses in the book of Matthew. We have the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7. We have chapter 13, the Sermon by the Sea. And then we have another Sermon on the Mount near the end on Mount Olivet. And in the first discourse is that we have the, the principles of the kingdom. And in the last one, we have prophecies of the kingdom. But here we get the uh, parables of the kingdom. And um, so the first one and the last one were on a mountain, but this is down by Lake Galilee. And uh, seven stories given all in one day, and they're about the mystery of the kingdom. Um, How does God's kingdom really work? And it works, as it turns out, in unexpected and surprising ways. So this is not history as man sees it. This is history as God sees it, a reality from God's viewpoint, a heaven's perspective on what's going on. And the first parable is this one that you've looked at about the sower and the seed. And this is the key to understanding all the parables. In, in Matthew, Jesus said, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? So somehow this is a, a very key a uh, parable in an important one. It's about a farmer, and he goes out, and he's broadcasting seed in every direction, lavishly throwing it out without too much regard as to where it lands. He walks through a field, scattering seed, and it lands on four different types of ground, and only one allows the seed to germinate, to grow, and to produce fruit, and a remarkable harvest takes place. So what's going on in our world? Um, Well, this simple story brings some very interesting truth to our attention, and I want to pull out three things here. Here's the first one. A worldwide agricultural project is being undertaken. A global agricultural project is being undertaken, and the king who rules the kingdom, he's also a farmer. And he's chosen this planet to do some farming, and he's scattering supernatural seed into the hearts of men and women everywhere. In Luke 8, verse 10, verse 11, it says, the seed is the word of God. So we're told what that is. It's God's word. It's the gospel. And every human heart is a potential plot where this seed can fall and sprout and grow, and heavenly seed is being sown in human hearts. Now, there's something very unique about this seed. Every other religious system in the world may have wonderful 
elements, but every one of them was originated in this world, in the mind of someone. The seed of the gospel is very different. It comes from outside the system. It has a heavenly origin. It was not born in the the mind of some human being. It was born in the heart of God. And each person was like a barren and unproductive piece of land. And without this seed, there's nothing but thorns and rocks and barrenness. But when the seed comes in, beauty and life spring forth. This seed is life-changing. And it brings about a connection with God. It introduces people into the kingdom of God. And it brings people into harmony with the purposes of heaven. And when the seed takes root, good things happen. Nothing like this seed has ever been sown in the world before. It's a wonderful, amazing, powerful seed. The Lord Jesus was the first sower and Millions have followed him since, scattering seed all over the planet. And the seed gets sown over the internet and over the fence and over the phone, and it gets sown in the workplace and in the schoolyard and in the coffee shop and all sorts of places. Molly G. was a university student in China. She attended a university and One day, she was in the classroom when the professor said, today we're going to learn about American culture. And uh, he said, the part of American culture we're going to look at today is American religion. He said, the Americans have a religion called Christianity. And he spoke as if everybody in America, in the USA, was a Christian. And he began to explain what their religion is over there, you know. Now, this man wasn't a believer. He was giving a lesson on American culture. And, uh, and it was like reading a textbook. He said, you know, Christianity teaches that uh, Jesus is God in human form. And although he was innocent, he died on a cross to take away the sins of the world. And anyone who believes in him can be forgiven of their sins and have a relationship with God. And when they die, they will be with God forever. And just like that, he was explaining his understanding of the, the religion of America. Well, Molly, a student, sat there and she listened. And something came over her. And she suddenly realized what this man was saying was true. And she knew that Jesus was real. And he, she understood that somehow he wanted a relationship with her. And right in the classroom, with this atheistic professor, she bowed her head and asked Christ into her life, prayed to him, and she became a believer right there. So the gospel was shared by an atheistic professor who didn't believe in God. Molly heard, believed, and was saved, and she ended up going to the USA to study more about the Bible and to learn more about her faith. You know, this seed is amazing. You don't even have to be a Christian to to sow this seed in somebody's heart. It's powerful and remarkable things can happen when it falls into the life of a person. There's a a dear brother who I know in Bolivia. His name is Juan Jose, and he grew up on a farm out in a rural community uh, in the Altiplano of Bolivia. His grandparents were Christians, uh, but they could not read. And so when he was little, they would give him a Bible, and they would say, read the Bible to us. So he would read the Bible for his grandparents, and... uh, 
over time, you know, as he would take care of the sheep and his mother would give him a Bible when he went and told him to read it. And one day he was out there with his sheep and he thought, you know, if I'm going to read the Bible, I should really understand what this book is about. So he thought he would start reading the Bible from the beginning. So he started at Genesis and started going through, reading there with his sheep out on the field. And he read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And then the second youngest ended up in Egypt. His brothers tried to kill him and they sold him as a slave. And he thought, oh, this is horrible. If if Joseph ever gets a chance to take vengeance on his brother, I'm sure he's going to do it. And it turns out that Joseph becomes the governor of Egypt. And his brothers end up going there, buying food. And instead of you know, throwing them in jail, his brother, their brother is very good to them. And he, he invites them to come and he takes care of them. And he thought, my goodness, I would not have done that. I would never have done that to these brothers who tried to kill me. He said, that must be God. I would like to know God like that. And so right there, he prayed and asked God to come into his life and to change him as he read the Bible with his sheep. You know, God's seed is remarkable how it can fall into hearts and Juan Jose's life has changed and he is growing in his faith in God. God's good seed, as it is scattered, continues to fall into human hearts and to bring good fruit. What God is doing in history is intimately connected with this seed. And uh, as a matter of fact, the seed is the theme of the first parable, of the second, and of the third parable. Um, to begin with, a remarkable global agricultural project is going on worldwide. It centers on the seed. Here's the second thing. An aggressive sabotage operation is also going on. And the parable gives a lot of attention to this part. The forces that obstruct and hinder the, the seed and choke faith. And there's strong opposition to this seed, uh, as we see in this story. And the parable identifies several factors that hinder the seed. There are hard spots that exclude it. There are fowl that devour it, sun that scorches it, stones that hinder it, and thorns that choke it. So all sorts of stuff is going on. So this seed doesn't do what it's made to do. Uh, it seeks to oppose and hinder the seed. And we see this in the next parable that speaks of an enemy sowing phony seed, fake seed. So obviously, somebody is out to stop the seed from doing what it can do. And he's doing all he can to stop the seed from taking hold in people's lives. He fights the seed because he knows that his only threat, the only threat to his kingdom, comes from this heaven-sent seed. Nothing else will set people free. Nothing else can liberate people from the domain of darkness. So the enemy opposes the seed and he does all that he can to avoid it taking root in human hearts. So this makes the, cha the task a little more challenging. There's an aggressive sabotage operation going on. The enemy hardens people's hearts through sin. He confuses them through false experiences. He fills their hearts with rocks and thorns so the seed can't get in, and he poisons their mind with lies. So this is not just farming. This is warfare. 
right? There's a battle going on for the hearts and minds of men and women. You'll notice in this story, one of the factors that militate against the seed are birds, birds who come and carry away the seed. Well, it's interesting, well, and Jesus identifies the birds as demonic powers. The enemy is working, taking away the seed. But it's interesting that in nature, um, when birds eat seeds, that often does not put an end to the operation of the seed. The seed often passes through the bird's digestive tract unharmed and then gets deposited elsewhere. Isn't that right? Um, so that instead of destroying the seed, the bird ends up delivering the seed to new locations. And uh, that's one of nature's ways of spreading seeds around and causing them to grow in new places. Isn't that right? The, the devil's attempt to stop the seed often serves to scatter the seed. You remember that's what happened in the early church when persecution, persecution arose in Jerusalem and they were getting thrown in jail and getting killed and they got scattered so Christians went everywhere. And it says in Acts 8, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So the, the plan was to oppose this new movement and it backfired and now the seeds were getting scattered to the four winds. And somehow God is able to use the wrath of man to praise him. And he does that in fascinating ways. I remember hearing a story from John Lennox, Dr. John Lennox, who's a mathematics professor at Oxford and he has spent a lot of time in Russia when it was still part of the Soviet Union and he visited a university, I believe it was in Siberia somewhere, uh, probably teaching a course there. And he got to know one of the professors. And it turned out this professor was a Christ follower. And he said, how did you come to know about Christ and the, Bi the Bible? Uh, the Bibles are prohibited here in the Soviet Union. And he said, well, you know what? He said, the, the Soviet Union puts out literature, literature to oppose Christianity and the gospel and they have anti-Christian literature. And well, I, I have some of that. And what I did was they, they quote a lot of Bible verses to try to refute the Bible. And I cut out all those verses. I got a whole lot of those verses and I studied those verses. I read them and they led me to Christ and I became a believer. <laughs> so here's anti-Christian literature that God ends up uses to bring, using to bring somebody to faith and to knowing Christ. The wrath of man continues to praise him. There's a dear brother that I know. His name is Julian Cayo. We've traveled a lot together. He's a dear Quechua believer, and he lives in a little town called Calila. It's on the Toropalca River. That's an area south of the city where we used to live in Bolivia that I have visited on many occasions. And there's a whole lot of little communities all along that river, like Pancochi, like Calila, Huitawi, and Villanueva, and other communities where there are a lot of believers. Uh, actually, Villanueva, everyone's a believer in that town. Now, right across the river is Toropalca, and there's almost no Christians there. But in Villanueva, everybody's come to faith. Actually, it's one huge extended family. And um, it's, it's rather interesting, uh, the contrast between those two villages. But um, Julian 
told me about how the gospel came to his community. Well, he had gone to Argentina to work, and uh, he spent some time there, a few years there. He came to know Christ in Argentina, and he and another brother returned to their village in Bolivia, now the only two believers in the community. They were not welcome. The people were very opposed to this new thing that had happened. These two were now Christ followers, and they were getting flack. Sometimes the stones would come raining down on their roof as people would throw, throw stones at their houses, and they were getting criticized. And finally, one gentleman said, look, you, you, don't, you guys don't belong here. You belong somewhere else, and we're, we're going to deport you. And he said, I'm going to go to the city of Potosi. I'm going to come back with the authorities, and we're going to deport you, and you can get sent off somewhere else because we don't want you in this community. Well, this guy got into his Jeep, and he drove off with his wife to the city, and he was going to come back with this plan. As it turned out, on a curve in the road, he lost control of his vehicle. The vehicle flipped over. The man was killed, and his wife ended up in the hospital. Well... When that news came to town, the fear of God fell on that place. Nobody said anything more against these believers. Everybody became very respectful to them. And uh, a lot of hearts were open to the gospel. And um, now about 70% of the community professes faith in Christ. It's, it's remarkable. Some of the things that God sometimes uses to, to turn a situation around. A worldwide agricultural project is being carried out. An aggressive sabotage operation is also going on. And here's the third thing. A remarkable harvest is being gathered in. A remarkable harvest. An average yield for a farmer at this time may be tenfold, and if he managed to bring in 30 or 60-fold, that would be a bumper crop, but 100-fold, that was a very amazing harvest. And in spite of all this opposition, God's seed keeps getting into human hearts all over the place. The seed gets through and new life springs forth. And uh, you and I have the opportunity of scattering seed as well. We're often told that we live in a post-Christian era. Uh, and that the church is in decline, the fact of the matter is there are more believers in Christ in the world today, right now, than there ever have been in all of history. Um, maybe the growth has not uh, continued in the same way in the northern hemisphere, but now most of the Christians in the world are in the southern hemisphere. The church has moved south, now, and uh, there's a remarkable harvest going on it's it's amazing. I sometimes have opportunity to visit Central America, and uh, most of those countries have 30, 35, 40 percent evangelicals in, in Central America. There's a tremendously strong Christian presence there. And Christ is building his church, and the gates of hell are not able to hinder that from happening. The harvest continues. I think of a Canadian missionary um, that lived in a village south of the city where we were. Uh, they call her Doña Margarita. Uh, she was a nurse from Ontario. She was a lot older than I am, and she's now passed away, but she was much more elderly when I knew her. 
she lived in this town called Bitichi. And one day, a fellow in another town called Yawisla got sick, and so he went to Bitichi to get some medical help, and Doña Margarita gave him some medical attention. He got better. Not only did he get better, but he became a believer because of her testimony. She shared the gospel with him. He spent a couple of weeks, and so she taught him a lot about the Bible. And then, having recovered, he went back to his village, Yawisla, and... Uh, Actually, the, the brother who told me the story is Stephen Hawthorne, who is uh, a nephew to Jim Elliott, the mar martyr in, uh, in Ecuador. Uh, Jim Elliott's mother was a sister to Jim. And Stephen told me about this, this because he worked in the town. He said, you know what? He said, what happened was this fellow came back. He was re had recovered. He began to share the gospel. And a number of people came to faith. They started up a, a church, and they said, you know what? There's lots of villages around here. There's no Christians in any of them, so why don't we share the gospel? And they began to go out two and two, two by two, to visit these villages. And as a result, 20 new churches sprang up. And I don't know if Doña Margarita ever found out about this, that the, the sick fellow that she helped get better and she led to the Lord, uh, that seed got multiplied and a whole lot of other a little churches sprang up in the area of Yawisla. Um, we left Bolivia just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the Sunday, the last Sunday we were there, um, I was talking to one of the ladies from the fellowship. Her name is Tanya. She's a psychologist, and uh, she's working with a ministry that reaches out to women uh, in who, who are prostitutes. And uh, so she visits these places where they are and inviting them to come to their center and where they can get training to find a better way of earning a living. And a number of them have been coming. As a matter of fact, I was teaching a course on living in the Father's embrace, and she got a van load of these women and came to the course and came to one of the sessions. And actually, I, I didn't realize they were going to be there. And I was talking about how Jeremiah spoke to God's people and said, you know, you guys are being unfaithful to God. Israel was like the Jehovah's, the wife of Jehovah, but she was unfaithful to God and going after all these other false gods. And God said, you become like a, like a harlot, like a prostitute. But later on in the book of Jeremiah, he says, um, O virgin of Israel. And I said, how does a prostitute become a virgin? You know, here he says, you're like a prostitute, and then he calls Israel a, a virgin. Well, you know, when God's mercy comes into a person's life and God's forgiveness is received, it's like they never sinned, and it's totally gone. <laughs> and I wasn't thinking about the fact there's a group of prostitutes in, in the meeting, but I guess God really blessed them and impacted them, and the next week, um, Tanya wasn't planning on getting the van again. They all wanted to get that van and come back and, and carry on hearing some more. But she was telling me that uh, a number of them have now come to faith and God is using her to reach out to these people. That Sunday morning, I also spoke to Gladys, another lady in our fellowship. And she said, you know what? That book you wrote, I gave it to a, a niece of mine. She just graduated from university. I thought, what can I give her? I gave her your book. And she said she, she came to faith, and she's now attending a church. And uh, she was thrilled that the Lord had used that to, to bring uh, this niece to faith. 
On Sunday afternoon, that two Sundays back, uh, we had a visit from a fellow by the name of Alvaro. He's a military uh, officer, and um, he came with his wife. We had a really nice visit with him. Well, we hadn't seen him for some time, and there was an interesting story there because the backstory is that, wow, how many years back would that be? Over 15 years ago, um, Wendy visited the prison. Uh, her ministry is related to visiting prisons. And there was a young officer who had been accused of killing uh, a child with a, a gun. And um, so he ended up in jail. And Wendy went in to see him. Got permission, went into isolation where he was. And she said, you know, I don't know if you are guilty or innocent, but there's one thing that I do know. And it is that God loves you. And before she knew it, the, the man threw herself, himself into her arms and he said, now I know there's a God because I was about to take my life when you came. And uh, Wendy shared with him and uh, seeing that he was very distraught, she left her Bible with him. And uh, when she went back a week or two later, the man said, you know, if everybody read this book, the world would be a different place. And God was really speaking to him through the Bible. Another guy who was in the cell who wanted to get out and kill the person who had put him in there started reading the Bible with him, and he totally changed as well. And uh, God used the, the word of God in his life. Well, you know, we moved to another city. We went to La Paz. Like It was 13 years later. Wendy was went by the, a big square, Plaza Avaroa, where they were having a big gathering they have a, one of the days in the calendar that is remembered in Bolivia is the day of the sea. They lost the seacoast to Chile years ago, and they're hoping to get it back. So the president of the country was there, and the military band, and crowds of people, and Wendy listened for a while as the president gave one of his lengthy speeches, and finally she's headed for home. And then she heard somebody shouting her name and turned around, and here was a, a military officer running towards her, and when he got close, she recognized him as Alvaro, the guy that she had visited, you know, 13 years before in the prison. She said, you know, I was able to get out of prison. I was exonerated, and uh, I was able to continue my military career, and I'm still reading that Bible that you gave me. And they had a beautiful, um, you know, uh, able to get together again. And it turned out he was the in charge of the security for the president of the country. He had 160 um, soldiers under his command, and wherever the president went, they went, and he, he was the security. Well, it turned out that the government changed, and he got shipped off somewhere else, came down with COVID, and uh, came back to the city, came down with cancer, and uh, he came and visited us with his wife. And it was beautiful how God is working in his life, sustaining him and trust, trusting the Lord for whatever is going to happen. And uh, we just were able to see a beautiful example of the power of the word of God to work in a person's life. The, the seed of the gospel continues to bring good fruit. Well, just three days before traveling back to Canada, we were visited by another brother, a dear brother that we've worked with for some time. His name is Damien, an ex-prisoner, 
he was the most feared man in the prison. You would never believe that now to see him. However, at that point, he was. They were scared of this fellow, and they'd always keep him in isolation because if they let him out, there'd be trouble. He was always going to be fighting with somebody. Uh, actually, one of the first times when Wendy first got to know him, God put a burden on her heart for him. She was praying for him. One morning, she read in Proverbs verses that said, don't go with violent men to participate in their evil deeds. And she thought, I think these verses are for Damien. So she phoned the prison. Can I speak to Damien, please? Uh, yes, ma'am, phone back in 10 minutes. We'll call him. So 10 minutes later, uh, he gets on the phone and and Wendy gets Proverbs out and reads those verses from Proverbs. Silence on the other end of the line. And then finally Damien said, I can't believe you're reading me those verses because when they called me, I just pulled out a knife to kill somebody. And now you read me those verses. Okay, I think God is trying to tell me something. <laughs> I don't know whose life got saved that day. But, um, but God started working in this guy's life. And, and it was a long process. You know, some of these people come from such a dark, difficult situation that, yeah, it, often years, years go by before you really see some good fruit. Well, he is now out of jail. He is now has four children, and he's... He's developing a piece of property to be able to help other prisoners who get out of jail. But he told us a story just three days before we left. He said, you know what? He said, when I was in the prison, um, they brought some prisoners that I knew. When I had been in another prison, they had tried to kill me. They tried to poison me. And then they were brought and put in cells close to where I was. And it turned out that the policemen, uh, they have police guards there, was quite friendly to Damien, and Damien wanted to get vengeance on these guys who had tried to kill him. And so the policeman kind of turned a blind eye, and he began to break into this area, broke a few locks, and he had a, a good knife with him, and he was going to kill them all. And they heard him coming, and they were afraid. They were locked in their cell. And he was threatening them, saying, I'm coming for you. I'm going to kill all of you. Well, now, this is a really scary guy. Uh, he, he was trained to be a, an assassin as a child. And uh, he, he, so he knew how to fight. He knew how to use arms and weapons. And, and now he was coming for these guys. Well, he had to break a few locks to get to where they were. And uh, it turned out that not long before that, uh, Wendy had given him a Bible. He wanted a smaller Bible, so she got him a small Bible. And he had it in his pocket, you know, right here in his shirt pocket. And as he came to the cell where these guys were, you know, threatening that he's going to kill them all, one of them in the, j in the cell looks out and he says, hey, is that a Bible you have there? And Damien says, yeah. <laughs> Can I have that Bible? And suddenly it struck him that what he was about to do really didn't go along with the Bible very well. <laughs> and so he said, okay, I'll give you the Bible, but you've got to read it. I want you to read the Bible, and I want to hear you reading it out loud. And so he gave the Bible to these guys, and he said, now I want you to read the Bible, and if you don't read it, I'm going to kill you all. <laughs> so these guys decided it was a good time to read the Bible. So they began to read the Bible out loud, nonstop, as if their life depended upon it, because it did. You know, and there they were having this Bible reading, and they would take turns. And I guess 
you know, Damien went back to his cell, but he was wanting to hear the Bible being read, and if they didn't, he was going to come back and kill them. Well, these guys got into this Bible study, and uh, they just kept up the Bible reading because their lives were on their lives were on the line, and uh, and uh, so I don't know how long they kept reading the Bible, but uh, became a regular part of what they were doing there. As it turned out, these men did escape harm, and they were transferred to another prison. In another part of the country, they had set up a really high-security prison, and they brought the 30 worst criminals in the country to that prison. So these fellows were sent out there, and not only did they go, but they took the Bible with them. And in this new prison, there was 30 of them, and they kept on reading the Bible. And uh, every day, like, they didn't have anything else to do, so they just read the Bible out loud, taking turns. It turns out that one of the fellows in this section, probably the worst serial killer in the his- history of Bolivia, he had been sent to the prison near, near La Paz, and Wendy had the opportunity of going there, sharing with him. He had come to faith in Christ, he had been sent with this group of 30 to Santa Cruz, and he was in this cell where they were having this Bible study. Well, he was named pastor of the group, you know, and um, when Wendy went to visit them sometime later, uh, she took him some a Bible and some study material, um, not realizing that he'd become the pastor there. <laughs> But uh, when we went back a year later, he began to introduce those fellows that were in the jail there. 29 of them had come to faith and come to know Christ. uh, And the Bible being read every day brought forth fruit. And the guy that had been a serial killer was now leading them in their spiritual life. And he said, who in the world could imagine such a thing to happen? You know, God's seed is powerful stuff. It does some amazing things. It does things that we have no idea about. And uh, that was certainly a remarkable example of... And actually, we've now met some of these prisoners who have been transferred elsewhere. And wonderful to see them going on for the Lord. Um, I was traveling in in Bolivia, in La Paz. We have a, a very interesting mass transit system now. It's cable cars, and it goes over the top of the houses, and these little gondolas seat about 10 people, and they've got a network over the all, all parts of the city. And one Sunday morning, I was going to speak at a, a church in El Alto, which is the city right next to La Paz, and, um, and I was taking one of these gondolas, and I had my Bible on the seat beside me. And a gentleman, there was about six people in the gondola were with, with me, and an elderly gentleman said, is that a Bible you have there? I said, yes, it is. And he said, you know, I've been reading the Bible. And he began to tell me a story. He said, you know, I was an alcoholic, and I was drinking all the time, every day. They tried to help me. Nobody could help me. Nobody could help me break out of this bondage to alcohol. And uh, he said, I, would, I was in that situation for, I think he said, about 20 years. And uh, finally, a nephew of his invited him to a church service, and he heard the gospel. 
Well, you know, that was interesting. He, he went home that afternoon. He sat down, bought some bottles out, and he was getting ready to drink. And suddenly he heard a voice be from behind him. They said, how long are you going to keep doing that? And he turned around, and there was nobody there. And he realized that that was God speaking to him. And so he got down on his knees, and he said, God, I can't quit. You're going to have to do something. Don't do it tomorrow. Do it right now. Deliver me. Save me. Help me. I can't. I can't get free. And he said to me in the gondola, it's been 30 years and I haven't touched a drink since that day. God changed my life. And the beautiful thing was, there was a young fellow over here. There's another guy over here. They're, they're all listening to this guy's story as he's giving them his testimony of how the gospel changed his life. And um, that was beautiful to see another example of the power of the seed to uh, bring fruit. Dwight Moody was a famous evangelist in the 19th century that uh, once was challenged by a, an atheist as he was preaching outdoors. The atheist said, I challenge you to a public debate on the existence of God. And Moody said, you know, I accept you on one condition. You bring 10 people whose lives have been transformed for good by atheism, and I'll bring 100 people who've been transformed by the gospel. Well no surprise the man never showed up. He's probably still looking for 10 people. Um, atheism doesn't tend to lift people up to uh, a life of greater integrity. Uh, the gospel certainly does, doesn't it? The power of the seed. Um, this parable um, tells us about the most significant thing that's happening in our world. Against all odds, the seed will triumph, and ultimately around the throne of God, there will be a multitude gathered from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, every ethnic group, and the seed will have done its work, and it will be a day of great rejoicing and praise to our Redeemer. But now is the time for sowing the seed, isn't it? Um, Everyone who receives the word becomes uh, charged with the responsibility of passing it on and scattering the seed. And the amazing thing is that there will be people present in that multitude one day that you spoke to about the Lord and that you prayed for and that you had some involvement with in telling them about Christ. Isaiah God said in Isaiah, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It will accomplish that what I please, and it will prosper in the thing to which I send it. There were two single missionaries, two women who went uh, to serve in, in uh, New Guinea, and they went to a tribe, and they were working on the translation of the Bible. And that's a long task, a difficult one, and they were advancing with that project and living in the jungle in this little village. And one day some canoes arrived and men from another village, hearing there were some foreigners there, had come to meet them. And uh, they had a very nice time and the men came to look around the village and see the homes and the community. And, and they said, you know, we would like you to come and come to our village and talk to people about this book that you have. And they said, well, you know, we've got a lot of work ahead of us, and I, I'm afraid we really can't leave this village yet. And somewhat saddened, 
uh, the men returned in their canoes to where they lived. And sometime later, one of the missionaries said, why don't we go and visit those gentlemen, pay them a visit? And so with a number of others from the community and in several canoes, they went along the river traveling to where that village was, and they were received very warmly, and they were shown around the village and the, their crops and their homes, and they noticed there was this large new building, and they said, now, do you have some sort of community gatherings here? And they said, no. Do you have some sort of religious ceremony? They said, no. Well, what is this for? And they said, well, you know, when we went to your village, we saw that you had a big building like this, and so we built one of them here, and we're waiting for somebody to come and, and tell us about that book. And the missionary's eyes filled with tears as she realized there was a group of people in the jungle waiting for somebody to tell them about God's good word. And there wasn't anybody to do that. You know, the Bible says that we have become debtors, um, not because we borrowed something, but because we have something that is worth a treasure that is so valuable that people desperately need. It's God's good seed. And... um, and we're called upon to be a part of sowing it. Um, Let us not grow weary, said Paul in well-doing, because for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. If a person does not receive God's good seed, he ends up with rocks and thorns and barrenness. We all desperately need God's powerful seed in our life to bring us into our relationship with him and to bring fruit that honors God. And uh, if you've never received that seed into your heart, how important it is that you do that and say, God, I'm another piece of barren soil and I need you to bring new life and to bring forgiveness and salvation to my life. May the Lord help us to be bearers of that seed and bearers of good news in a world that often has been inoculated against it and that makes it much more challenging, um, and often we need to s- to really win hearts by showing kindness and love, opening the way for the seed to be received. May God strengthen you in that task as you seek to be a part of that in this fellowship and in your daily life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful heaven-sent seed that is the gospel, the power of God to salvation. Thank you that it fell into our hearts. Thank you for the the joy of knowing you. Strengthen our hand and our vision to believe that it is what people need and give us opportunities to passing on the good news that sets people free. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.